York State Department of Transportation presents the DOT POD. And welcome in to the DOT POD. I am Josh Heller. She is Anya Cardos, and we are delighted to have you joining us for episode number one of the DOT POD. Anya, how exciting is this? Oh, I'm thrilled. Are you kidding me? This is the best opportunity to talk to anybody and hear great stories. So why not take it? It's been a long time coming. We've been uh, we've been working towards it, and we're very excited to uh, to get this uh, to get this off and running. Uh, and very excited to uh, to introduce our first guest. We have Harry White joining us here. First of all, thank you for taking the time and uh, and sitting down with us here. Happy to be here. So Harry, uh, tell us what it is you do with with DOT professionally. I am in short order. Uh, a bridge engineer. I design bridges. I uh, help people maintain the bridges. We keep the transportation system going. And how long have you have you been doing that? Too long. 30, <laughs> 31 years so far. Talk about your, your journey through DOT to where you are now from when you when you started 30 odd years ago. I have less hair and my pants are bigger. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> okay. You show up every day, you uh, get your assignment. In this case, you know, now that I'm a supervisor, I give out the assignments, but um, we take care of what needs to be taken care of. Talk a little bit about your, your background uh, and your, your schooling and how, how you ended up at DOT originally. Sure. I graduated from Union College back in 1992. Um, I was born in Schenectady and I grew up in Schenectady, and then I went to college in Schenectady, and now I work here in Albany. Um, I think I was 35 before I realized I was free to leave, but <laughs> but here we are. So I started with the department because I took the junior engineer's exam. They said, we have a job for you, and that was the end of it. No more thought than that. You know what, though? The, what's interesting is that you probably know so much of what goes on here at DOT inside and out throughout all these years, which with your institutional knowledge of what's going on as well. Yes. I, I would hope so. Yeah, no. By this point, you would have to uh, be walking around with your eyes closed not to, I guess. <laughs> well, let's talk about engineering and comedy and the art of being funny. This goes back a long ways for you. You're widely known here for being an exceptional speaker and using your humor to kind of explain really highly technical concepts, but adding a little dash of humor to make them compelling where did this start? Well, mostly it started because I was subjected to a lot of technical presentations that were not interesting. Um, I mean, the information is always good, but it came in a way that, you know, you're getting the information, but not much else. So when I give presentations, I try to make sure that the people want to be there. Um, give them that little bit extra to help them pay attention. Uh, in the world of cell phones, you don't want them, you know, drifting off into their Facebook or their Twitter. You want them focused on what it is that you're saying so that you can uh, get your point across. But for me, comedy started a really long time ago. Uh, I used to sneak out of my room down the hall and watch the comedians on The Tonight Show, which proves two things. I didn't sleep a lot and I really enjoyed stand-up comedy. I remember when I was a kid and I would buy up comedy records as well, like Steve Martin, uh, right. Gilda Radner. What were some of your favorites? And did you like kind of imitate them? Is this like, you, would you do this with your family? I mean, how, how big was this for you? Um, 
annoyingly too big. <clears throat> we used to go to garage sales and you would find old records. Uh, they were selling for a dime and you know, we, I'd get whatever ones were available. My parents would listen to them first, make sure that they were appropriate. And then, uh, the ones that were, I could have, and I played them to the point of memorization to the point that I actually got one out the other day and I hadn't listened to it maybe in two and a half decades and literally still knew word for word what was coming next. Would you then perform them for your family? Unfortunately yeah. for them, yep. yes, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, how did you end up you know, starting actually performing, not just in front of your family, but uh, in front of crowds? So I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but I didn't know how you did it. And it turns out the only way you do it is you just start doing it. But I, but I didn't know that. Um, so when I used to do high school plays and uh, choir and public speaking in high school, and then I was like, well, geez, maybe this is a career. This is something I could do. And my father basically said, um, no, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to do that. You're going to get a real job. And, uh, you know, because of him, unfortunately, you know, I've had a, 31 year successful career with a wife and three children that love me. How so, dare he? How yeah. dare he? Ridiculous. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here right now, too. When were you able to kind of combine those two things together, right? Kind of combine not only, you know, your love of performing, but also, you know, the, the work that you clearly find enriching here? From day one. I mean, there's no time that I'm going to stand up in front of a crowd of people and not try to make it interesting. Uh, for them, you know, technical speaking is a low bar because as long as you get the required information to the audience, you're already a success. Anything you do beyond that is a bonus both for them and for you because it makes it interesting for the presenter and for the audience. Where has this taken you? Because you, you've actually presented in other countries and talked about projects right here at DOT. Talk about that. So I have presented at the International Bridge Conference, um, various AASHTO uh, conferences, TRB, and various places around the state, of course. Uh, but one time I was given a presentation and uh, people saw it and they're like, hey, we'd like you to come and talk to our engineers too. We're doing an integral abutment conference. We want you to present. And I said, sure, where is it? And they said, oh, it's in Stockholm. So I went over there and I gave the presentation and I was actually quite terrified because um, Swedish people, although highly polite, are pretty reserved. <laughs> so I was like, how am I going to connect with them the way that I connect with audiences here? And I am happy to announce that as long as you make fun of your family, universal. Okay. doesn't matter where you go. <laughs> as long as you make fun of your family, it's the same worldwide. So what kind of topics do you discuss in when, you're, you know, when you're giving these, these presentations? Uh, take us through some of the, uh, the, the technical you know, engineering speak that uh, I won't understand, but uh, a lot of our sure. listeners would. So my job here at the department has mostly been focused around standards and innovative uh, materials and techniques. So whenever a new product comes to the department or if I'm doing uh, a talk somewhere else, I'm always on the lookout for new and innovative things that they're doing in other places. I try to learn as much as I can about those things immediately so that I can bring that technology, that um, procedure back to the department. So once it comes here, we vet it um, with our engineers and our suppliers, make sure that it, uh, 
is a potential benefit for us and then try to find ways to get it into our roadway system. Then we have to uh, monitor it and make sure that it's performing the way that we want over a course of time or maybe we want to do some accelerated testing at a university or uh, some other consortium that we work with. So we want to make sure that um, we're always moving forward in our technologies. So most of my talks are about how we're doing what we're doing, but better. So um, integral abutments is something that, you know, for people that are designing bridges today, there, of course, you would do an integral abutment. It's very common, but it wasn't very common 20 years ago. So what's the best way to do it? What are other people doing? Turns out New York was a national leader in integral abutments and continued to be so. So that is one of the big topics uh, that I talk about. The other thing we talk about now is uh, polymer concretes, um, the importance of washing bridges and the benefit that that can provide, and many, many other topics. There's, there's too many you know, to go in. But the idea is if someone is doing something that's different than what we do, maybe it's not a good idea, but maybe it is. So let's check it out. So, I, Anya, you can answer this if you know. What is an integral abutment? I don't, <laughs> I don't know that yet. Sure, it's very simple. Integral abutments are a type of abutment that doesn't use a bearing or an expansion joint because when things get hot, they expand. When things get cold, they contract. And when things are small, the amount of movement that they have is not very much, so we don't care. But if you have something like a bridge that's 200 feet long, then that little bit of movement uh, over a long distance becomes quite a bit of movement. So if you don't have a way of accommodating that movement through the bearings and the joints, then you have to handle it in a different way. If we lock those things together, uh, then the abutments actually move, but we design them so that they can move without uh, putting a lot of pent-up force into the system. And uh, the reason that we want to do that is because joints, by their very nature, wear out. So we're always going back and replacing leaking joints. And anything that leaks on a bridge is bad because salt water is the number one contaminant for steel and concrete, and that's taking up a lot of our maintenance and uh, construction dollars. So if we can eliminate that leaking joint, we've gone a long way to pushing our dollars uh, further and getting more done with that same amount of money. Because there's only two type of joints that are used at New York State DOT, joints that are leaking today and joints that will be leaking tomorrow. So if we can eliminate them, then we don't have to worry about them leaking. In New York, we've got a lot of older infrastructure. I know that's something that you're probably tackling. What are some of the unique or innovative things that maybe we don't really hear about too much um, that you foresee in the future for us at DOT? Well, I'll give you an example. So um, there's fully integral abutments, and then there's something called a semi-integral abutment, where it has a bearing, which allows it to move back and forth, but no joint, so no leaking. And we have recently created a detail where we can take an existing abutment and convert it into this new type of semi-integral abutment. And as far as I know, that hasn't been done anywhere else. Really? And New York has done at least a couple, and we're going to be doing many more going forward because, again, eliminating those joints where possible saves us money up front 
in the initial construction cost. It saves money during the life of the structure on reduced maintenance, and it prolongs the life of that structure, which will uh, save money long-term capital program. You mentioned saltwater being being the enemy here. Right. You also mentioned bridge washing. It seems like a simple thing, but I imagine that it, it makes a big difference. Washing is a thing that we know works, but it's hard to quantify. Is it 5%, 30%, 80% more life? That is hard to put a pinpoint on. Researchers really don't know, but we know it's better. We also know that there's costs involved with washing. Um, some of them are minor when the road is not very busy, but when you have a very busy road and you know the maintenance and protection of traffic can be three times the cost of the washing, now you have a decision to make. So that's where the engineering comes in and trying to figure out where and why is it uh, the right choice to do the washing, what type of washing, how often. It's, it's not a simple um, uh, equation. You would think it would be. It, it seems on the surface to be. But like most things that we do, it's a little more complicated uh, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it. If you don't mind, can we get back to some of the things that you do outside of DOT? There are so many folks who work in this uh, department who have hobbies. They do a lot of stuff. You actually have opened up for several pretty well-known comedians. Can you talk about that and your excitement and what that experience must have been like for you? Well, I don't want to brag, but I'm going to. (laughs) Go ahead. So I have made tens of dollars doing comedy <laughs> over my life. I mean, please don't be jealous. I, I know I know it sounds like I'm um, you know, big talking everybody here, but literally tens of dollars. So what happens is is uh sometimes when a promoter is putting together a show, they look for local comedians who will be the opening act for them. So just someone to warm up the audience and say, hey, this guy's not so bad, but the guy you're about to see is really good. So they need a barometer to compare the really good guy to, you know, the amateurs. And I've been blessed to um, open up for a few um, people who in the comedy world anyway would be considered semi-big names now. Um, Best Stelling has a, um, uh, a Netflix special. Out right now, Jay McBride has uh, done Netflix specials and, you know, uh, is at the Comedy Cellar down in New York City. And I've worked with those people, you know, well, once at least. So don't be jealous. At least once. Now, I will tell you, they they did not choose me. They would not remember me. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is that I did it. And, you know, there were 150 people there and um, I had a great time. People seemed to like it. And the most important thing is at the end, they told me they liked it and that felt good. That, that, that's the, really the only important part of that story. You use a lot of your comedy when you, or, or your hu- sense of humor when you, when you speak on these technical subjects. How does it make you feel when you know that you've really reached someone who may be like me, you know, I don't have that technical background. How does that make you feel? And, and why do you feel that's important for people to gain an understanding of the work that you're doing? Look, engineering is incredibly important. I mean, engineers are like the fact checkers of life, right? I mean, we know how things work. Um, so it's important that we get our knowledge out to Uh, people so that they can use it, whether they be other engineers or for the general public to understand why we do what we do, why the decisions that we made are the right decisions. 
And if we can make that factually correct while also being interesting, that's the whole, that's the whole pie right there. And quite honestly, I, um, don't like boring presentations. I don't like listening to them. I don't like giving them. So if I can make it better for both of us, then I'm more interested. And I find that the more I give the same presentation, the amount of technical information slowly diminishes and the amount of humor slowly increases as it goes along. So a lot of people, if they say, no, I've already heard that. And I say, well, this is the fourth time I'm giving it. They're like, oh, that's going to be good. <laughs> I, I'm going to go see it again. So if somebody actually comes to my technical talk a second time, that's a huge compliment. How do you make something like bridge joints funny, though? I, I don't know how you don't. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing, okay, is that to me, this is so second nature that you would want to try to find an angle on it that um, makes it more interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, something as simple as saying there's only two types of joints used in New York, ones that are leaking today and ones that will be leaking tomorrow. Okay. I mean, that's a very simple line. It's true, but it's also funny. And it's the thing that people will remember, right? So when they walk out of that, they're like, oh, I don't want a joint because even if it's okay today, it won't be sometime in the future. I'm going to have to replace it. Right. So if I can drive that uh, point home in a way that makes them remember through humor, then so be it. And if they don't remember it, at least we had a laugh. It sticks. Right. Um, I just have a question for you. There's a lot of young people wondering, oh, what's this engineering world like for me? What would be your pitch to young people to get into engineering and work on some of these projects? Well, I actually go to elementary schools, high schools, and colleges uh, promoting DOT employment and promoting engineering as a profession in general. And the funny thing is, is that you can take the same topic and present it to either of those groups, only changing a very little bit to make it completely um, applicable to them, you know. And what I try to emphasize with the kids is uh, if you like figuring out how things work and if you want to make a difference and, you know, make a pretty good living while you're doing it um, and have time for your family at the same time, then a job at DOT is the way to go. So we're going to finish up with uh, with with a question. Uh, we're going to do this for for every podcast, including this one. So, you know, as someone who is who's from the area, who's lived in the area, and and who obviously has a, a good familiarity with uh, with the infrastructure here, what is your favorite New York road trip? And do you have a road trip song? I'm going to answer the second part mm. first. My go-to song. I got to think about that, and I believe. It's You'll Never Find by Lou Rawls. Because if I could have one voice, it would be Lou Rawls. Um, the favorite road trip in New York. Um, my wife and I recently did um, Letchworth State Park. It's a great hike. It's a great ride out there through the Finger Lakes and uh, down and we went camping out there for four or five days, and it was a great trip this year. Excellent. Harry, cannot thank you enough for, uh, for joining us and, and chatting with us today. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Harry. you very much. Appreciate it. Well, that is it for the first episode of the D-O-T-P-O-D. It is in the can. Anya, what'd you think? That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and it's so exciting to know that we're going to be sharing so many fantastic stories about the great people and the work being done within the great 
New York State Department of Transportation. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this first episode of the DOTPOD. Hopefully you enjoyed. I know I did. Anya, I think you did as well. Oh, it was fantastic. We look forward to continuing to give you content right here. Thanks again to Harry White, our guest. And again, thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in to DOT. DOT.